Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode three of The Wrestling Fanboy. How you doing out there, folks? Uh, I want to start things off by thanking a longtime listener and reader and follower of all my podcasts, Mr. Carlos Gustavo Borrego. Uh, because he went ahead and submitted the very first review for this show. So I'm going to read the first review that we've gotten for Apple Podcasts. Um, and I hope that some of you follow Carlos's lead here and uh, show the show a little love. But yes, Davo gave me a five-star review calling it an excellent podcast. He says, Mario has brought his unique and personal touch to a topic that is very dear to me, wrestling. His knowledge is quite amazing, and I hope that he continues with this podcast for a very long time. Well, you know what, Davo? With enthusiasm like that, uh, you can pretty much count that I will be doing this for a long time. Uh, and also, the numbers are clicking up episode by episode. You know, when you start a show, you want to see that numbers are uh, climbing, and uh, that's a pretty good sign. It's a pretty, it's a bad sign if things go down after your first episode. So uh, things are moving up. We're up to episode three, and WrestleMania weekend is upon us. There's a lot of wrestling to break down and discuss. Um, first things first, let's address sort of the elephant in the room for me. Uh, at least it is to me, it's the elephant in the room. And that is, it's WrestleMania weekend and I feel nothing. Uh, this has to be one of the most detached times I've ever had from WWE's product when it comes to WrestleMania season. Because even through the years where I was ignoring the product and not watching the show anymore, you know, I would still pay attention because WrestleMania always held that special place in my heart. You know, growing up in the Hulkamania era and then living through the Monday Night Wars boom and watching WrestleMania transform from like, like a premium event in a, in a large arena to suddenly becoming this outdoor stadium type of thing every year with 80,000 people and flyovers with jets and all this stuff. Like, I got to watch WrestleMania level up and become the showcase of the immortals, you know, and it... You know, WrestleMania will always hold a very special place in my heart, and that's why even the years I wasn't watching, I would make sure to attend a WrestleMania party or at least be somewhat in the loop at this time of year. And for this episode, I was tempted to go match by match and kind of preview the show, kind of, you know, go match by match and give my, my, my thumbs up or thumbs down as to whether or not this is something I care about or am looking forward to. Uh, but I looked at the card and I got to tell you folks, this card is very uninspiring. There's very little about this that gets me going. I don't know if if you are very fired up for WrestleMania this year, but when I was glancing through the matches, uh, first of all, I'm amazed that they're still doing it across two nights when this isn't a COVID situation and when they don't even have a very, very stacked card. They have like 10 matches happening. Why break this show in two? I don't get it. But when I was looking through, here are the only things that jumped out at me as having any of my interest. Uh, first and foremost, of course, there's the Seth Rollins versus 
blankety blank. That is the big question of the year. Uh, everyone thinks it's going to be Cody. I have a feeling that everyone's getting worked real bad and it's going to be someone else. I will laugh my ass off if the uh, the mystery opponent is Shane McMahon <laughs> after all, all the rumors that sprang up around Royal Rumble uh, about him you know, booking himself to be a centerpiece of the Rumble so that he could now have uh, a feud with Seth Rollins. And then when that all fizzled, because everyone hated Shane backstage for that, and he was basically asked to leave, uh, you know, then that's when all of a sudden the big shuffle happened. All right, who will Rollins face? And at around the same time, Cody became a free agent, and here we are with all the whispers. But then last week... Last week, they announced that there were reports that Shane McMahon is expected to be around for WrestleMania weekend and that he and his father have like whatever buried the hatchet or reconciled whatever weirdness happened back in January and uh, he might have some role to play at the show. And I was just thinking, imagine if he does end up still being the opponent for Rollins. Either way, uh, I want to just see what happens there. Uh, if it is Cody... I'm going to be very, very torn um, because, listen, I think it's a terrible idea. I think he's, I think it's a very short-sighted move for him. I think, yeah, he may get that big WrestleMania moment that he's never had. He may get that big, you know, especially if the rumors are true that they would debut him as the American Nightmare with his... Uh, his theme song, you know, My Kingdom by Downstate, and essentially completely uh, emulating his entrance from AEW where he comes up the center of the stage and the whole thing. There's rumors that WWE, you know, if they're going to do Cody, they're going to do Cody right. And the whole, the whole point of bringing him back in is to bring him in as this guy who was just a big star on the other channel. So rather than trying to change his gimmick and change his gear and give him a new song or alter the, uh, the product, so to speak, uh, the rumor is that he's going to come in as himself doing the same shtick he was just doing on Dynamite and Rampage. So this is why I say I'll be torn because... I'm going to find that tremendously cool if that is the case. To be able to see Cody have his signature entrance and have it happen at WrestleMania on the biggest stage of them all, on that big, beautiful, elaborate set that Vince McMahon always pulls all the stops out for for his WrestleMania shows. To see it happen on that grand a stage with that many people in the crowd... Uh, you know, I, I, I'll have to admit, I'm probably going to feel pretty amazing during that because something I always, I don't know if you do this. I don't know if this is unique to me. I don't know if it's a split decision, but for me, like when I'm watching entrances and I'm, or I'm watching a big debut or I'm watching whatever, I always tend to kind of put myself in the shoes of the person coming down the ramp, imagining what that must feel like. You know, maybe it's just the actor in me because I, you know, I've been in some high pressure situations. Look, I've never been on a stage in front of 80,000 people, but, you know, I've been the lead in a show that's sold out and all 500 seats are there to see you sing these iconic Broadway classics. You know, like I've been in positions before where like, wow, okay, I have to show up. I have to perform. There's a, a hot crowd out there that paid good money for tickets and now we got to go entertain them. So when I'm watching wrestling and 
someone's theme song hits and the crowd goes banana, uh, I I always just look at their eyes and I look at their body language, the wrestlers themselves as they're coming down the ring. And I just try to imagine, wow, what must this look and feel like for them? That has to be one of the most unique feelings in the history of anything to suddenly be the center of attention with 80,000 people staring at you and, and lighting technicians doing their magic and pyrotechnics going off. And right now you are like the central figure in the hottest piece of entertainment in the world at this exact moment. You know, wrestling is so unique in that way. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson always talks about that too. And it's one of the reasons why he still bothers to come back. Because even with all the, 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 the thrills of being a Hollywood megastar, there's nothing quite like walking out in front of a hot wrestling crowd. Because when they love you, they love you. And when they hate you, they hate you. But either way, you're at the center of all of this emotion being thrown at you. So with that in mind... As, as, as sad as I'll be to see Cody now back with the evil empire, there's definitely going to be a part of me going, but this is really cool. Good for him. You know, good for him that now he could scratch off his bucket list that he had his big WrestleMania moment, especially because I doubt that they're going to have him debut and then job to Seth Rollins or have some kind of weird facock to finish. If you're going to bring him in, then you're going to have him go over Rollins and make his debut really matter. So the idea of Cody coming in as the American Nightmare with his song and entrance coming out and in front of this huge audience defeating Seth Rollins and beginning a new run in WWE uh, on that surface level, that's going to be very cool to witness if, in fact, it is what happens. But the reason I say it's short-sighted is while he may get that adulation now and that big pop and that, that, that bucket list moment this weekend, if it does indeed happen, um, I think we all see the writing on the wall with WWE's booking style and the way Vince has traditionally always looked at Cody is that whatever this is, it's going to be short-lived. Even if he comes in hot and they put him right to the top of the card right off the bat, which, by the way, doesn't even seem that way because Seth Rollins is not top of card right now, you know? They have him feuding with Seth Rollins, who's kind of working like a, a comedic gimmick lately. And if he comes in and beats comedic, goofy Seth Rollins, does that really set him up to be at Roman Reigns level? Does that really set him up to be at Brock Lesnar's level? I don't think so. But that's part of what I'm saying, though. The booking is going to betray him sooner rather than later. So even if he has this awesome stellar debut and kicks off a great two or three month program with Seth Rollins... I don't see how he's still a, you know, riding high by the time SummerSlam gets here in August. I just don't have faith in WWE's booking to actually make him a centerpiece star of the show who's taken seriously and gets high quality wins and doesn't have all this even Steven booking where he wins one week, then loses to the same person next week, and there's just a million rematches, and by the end of it, Cody is a far less star, you know, far less of a star than he was when it started. You know, it's, they're going to have to prove me otherwise, but for right now, and I'm not the first one who said this, there was, um, 
who recent I think what's his face Zeb Coulter Dutch Mantel said that recently uh, when asked about the Cody Rhodes thing you know it's like yeah it'll be it'll be great for him uh, you know the, the, it'll be the biggest spot he's ever been in because he's never really been the top guy but if he comes in you know as a big attraction uh, the the idea that he'd be able to maintain that is very very unlikely. And that's why I, I I hope Cody played this right. If he went back there and he made he signed a deal, I hope it's a short term one, because if he gets locked down there for three years, and they only really do anything interesting with him for the first few months, and then he's just an up and down mid Carter upper mid Carter forever. Uh, by the time those three years are up. He's going to have been chewed up and spit out through the system and his value is going to be far, far less when that deal is up. So to me, the Cody thing, if it is happening, I hope it's a short run. I hope that they agree to some really solid creative that Cody can believe in and that they will stick to. And uh, I guess we'll just have to see. You know, there was one other wrinkle in the Cody soap opera that I wanted to get into real quick, and then I'll continue with what else matters to me about this WrestleMania card. And that is a report from last week that Cody is apparently working on a documentary about his father, Dusty Rhodes. And his sister had tweeted something out, and this is, and that's what led to the report coming out. She had tweeted out an image of Cody and Dusty talking about how Dusty would be so proud of you. And, you know, our dad would be so proud of you, rather. And a lot of people took that as, you know, he's going back to WWE and and he's taking all these risks and Dusty would be proud. But then apparently there was a clarification that she wasn't saying that because of his upcoming return to WWE. She was saying that because of the work he was doing producing a documentary about their father. And that got me thinking. And by the way, if you're not following my, me over on the Twitter, uh, I hope you do. The, you know, I have my personal handle, which is at IDJ Weddings, but I started one specifically for the show where I intend to tweet all of my wrestling thoughts throughout the week as I watch shows like Dynamite and Rampage and whatever I do end up ingesting. Uh, that Twitter feed will be where I where you could find my wrestling thoughts between episodes, if that's something you're interested in. <laughs> and yeah, so I tweeted about this because... It could explain the return to WWE in a sense for me, because if he really wants to make a documentary about his father, it behooves him to play nice with the McMahons because Vince and his vast library, he basically owns all of Dusty Rhodes career. He owns all that footage. He has all the career highlights. He owns all, you know, all the Mid-South footage, all the NWA footage, all the WCW footage. Basically anything that Dusty did in the last 40 years that added to him be, being the legend that he is, is now owned by WWE and has been for 20 years. And we know Cody's gone to war with them for things like getting his name back. And he, you know, he tried to get Great American Bash for AEW. He wanted to get, um, 
War Games and Spring Stampede, a couple other of his of, of his father's creations. He was trying to basically lay claim and saying, you know, my dad invented these things before he was a WWE employee. And I'm his son and I should be able to use him, essentially. And WWE said, no, we own all that shit. So sit down, Cody. And that that part makes me wonder, right? Like, I wonder if maybe that was part of the deal. If it was like, I'll come back and work there, but you guys have to help me with all the footage and interviews I'm going to need for this documentary on my father. Because if now if he's working for the evil empire, as long as they give him access to all his father's footage, then maybe it's worth it to him because his father's legacy is so important to him. You know, I just saw this picture this morning. Someone tweeted because this is the anniversary of uh, when WWE unveiled a statue to Dusty Rhodes, as they just did for The Undertaker at WrestleMania 38. They unveiled a statue of Dusty Rhodes six years ago. And there's this tearful picture of Cody almost like, you know, resting his head on the statue. And it's very emotional. And I know, we all know what his father meant to him and his father's legacy and trying to do his father proud. So when I read that report about the documentary, suddenly I started linking it with this potential return to WWE. I'm like, maybe that's why it's important to him to reestablish a good working relationship there so that he could do his father's doc uh, justice. So that's just something I wanted to throw out there. Either way, I'm still open to the possibility that this is all some sort of elaborate work. And by the way, if it is, if it is, and Cody does not show up at Mania, and he does not show up on Raw or SmackDown this week, then boy, oh boy, did they work Meltzer. And I feel like Meltzer is going to look real bad when this is all said and done because he's been telling people for months, oh, he's going to show up on this Raw. Okay, never mind. Now he's going to show up on this Raw. I mean it. This this Monday, he'll be on Raw. They're already making graphics. There are already plans. And then the next day, oh, okay, the plans have been put on the back burner. Then the next week, okay, things are back on. Okay, now he's definitely, he's going to be there for Mania. If Meltzer was wrong about all of this, I mean, that he, he's going to look like a big clown. But also, it adds to the theory I floated last week of a Brian Pillman, loose cannon-style worked shoot angle, where both Cody and Tony Khan and everyone involved are spreading misinformation to create an angle that actually works the boys also that works everyone. So let's see how this all pans out. There's still that wide eyed conspiratorial part of me that has a feeling that this has all been one big ruse. He's not going to show up on any WWE programming and that he's actually going to shock us in some way through his affiliation with AEW or possibly a relaunched Ring of Honor. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. But those are sort of the latest wrinkles on Cody and my latest thoughts on Cody now that we are on the eve of WrestleMania. But let's keep looking at the card. Um, don't care about Drew versus Happy. Don't care about oh the Usos versus Rick Boogs. I'm all right. Uh, Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey. I'm sure that might be interesting, but Ronda, 
uh, you know, Rhonda's lost whatever sort of appeal she had to me. Uh, she's just, she's not the badass that she was a few years ago and she's been away from MMA. So she's, I don't know. It just, th there's nothing there for me. So for night one, the only things I care about are Seth Rollins versus the big blankety blank and Stone Cold Steve Austin's appearance on the KO show. Uh, I just, you know, I'm dying to see how that, you know, what that even ends up being. Remember, the rumor originally was that he was going to have a match, but now it's just a stupid talking segment show. But I feel like it can't just be a talking segment show. This can't just be like a Piper's Pit thing where, yeah, he shows up and KO has a set in the ring and he asks him some stiff questions and then Stokehold eventually stuns him. Like, if that's all this is and they don't have some actual sort of like legit street fight at this show then I think, God, these people don't know what they're doing. You know, they, they've hyped up Steve's return. There have been all these rumors for the last three months. If this is all just for him to come answer some silly KO questions in a talking segment and then land a stunner to uh, pop the crowd in Texas and then leave, uh, that is going to be an epic fail, an epic level disappointment. But either way, I got to see. Because I have a feeling that there is going to be a bunch of physicality. And I've heard that Stone Cold has gotten back into phenomenal shape. And I know he takes his legacy really seriously. So he would not be doing any of this if he didn't think he could come back and look like Stone Cold Steve Austin for a night. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see that. Then for night two, the only one that I'm really dying to watch, because I think it's going to be a barn burner of a match, is Edge versus AJ Styles. I haven't really seen any of the uh, lead up to this. I'm not really sure what the feud is, but that is one of the great things that WWE does do right, which is they play those awesome intro movies before each match on the card. And it, you know, it, it, it summarizes everything that got us to this point and basically gives us that, you know, previously on for each match. So that we know exactly what the story points are, who ended up on top in their last confrontation, and what this match, what story this match is trying to tell. So I look forward to the, the intro video for Edge versus AJ so I can see exactly how they lined this feud up. But just in terms of the talent involved, I think Edge versus AJ will be the big match of either night. I'd be shocked if that were not the case. And the other big match is Roman versus Brock. And I, I'm over it, man. They've been feuding for so long. And they've also, they've already had WrestleMania title matches. Granted, this is going to be in reverse now where Roman is the heel and Brock is the face. And he's a jolly old cowboy. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't particularly care. I would only care if the title unification angle actually meant something like if this match, cause they call it title versus title and the, and there's all this talk that at the end, it's going to be an, a, a combined undisputed WWE universal championship. And people have already shown, you know, artwork and whatnot of what the new belt might look like. Um, had that been part of a much bigger movement in the company, 
had 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 Reigns versus Lesnar been built as when this match is over, Raw and SmackDown will officially just combine into one roster and that we're ending the brand split. And now there will be one world champion and one great secondary belt and one set of tag team belts. I might have actually cared because I've been thinking for a while now that the brand split doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. I think it's one of the reasons the product has suffered so much because the brand split made sense, you know, 15 years ago after WCW folded and WWE had the biggest, most stacked roster of wrestlers that had ever appeared on television ever. They had so many stars of both the WWF Monday Night Wars era, the WCW Nitro Monday Night Wars era, and ECW's heyday. They had all the stars from those three top federations, as well as some other rising talents that they had curated themselves. So at the time, a brand split made sense. You know what? We can't give everyone enough screen time, and there's not enough places for these guys to go. So let's split them up, make new divisions, new belts on each one, and treat it like two separate wrestling companies. That made sense back then. But nowadays, when they've cut the roster down to what they have, when they're down to so few actual bankable household names who can draw, when the product itself has been watered down and lost so many, so much of its ratings from the heydays, I don't see why keeping this split makes any sense. I really don't. So when I first heard that Roman versus Brock was going to be title versus title and it was going to be a unification match, I thought maybe part of the build of that was going to be WWE revealing that after WrestleMania 38, we're doing away with the brand split and it's all just one big company again, aside from NXT, of course. And the fact that that does not appear the case, appear to be the case. And the fact that the rumors have it that even after this match, there will continue to be two world titles, eh, then I really just don't care at all. I just don't. So Reigns, Lesnar, no thanks. Edge versus AJ all day. And that's literally, that's why to me, this show is like a two and a half, I can't even say match show because one of these things supposedly isn't a match. It's the KO show. So it's a two and a half segment show for me, WrestleMania is. The entire thing comes down to who will Seth Rollins be fighting? Will Stone Cold and KO have some kind of actual match on the show? And Edge versus AJ Styles. That to me is three matches on the entire damn card. And they expect me to sit there for two nights for all that? No, thank you. So that's why as of now, my plan, first of all, I can't watch night one, even if I wanted to, because, you know, like I can't watch it when it's happening because I work tomorrow night. Um, but Saturday, no, Sunday, I plan on skimming through night one, then watching Ring of Honor Supercard, which I'm going to talk to you about in a second, and then watching night two. So that's kind of my big plan for how I plan on ingesting mania this weekend. I'm going to do it all on Sunday, a lot of it in fast forward, and with Ring of Honor Supercard there as, as equal parts interesting for me. In fact, way more interesting for me. 
And yes, I know that that's happening on Friday night, but similar to Saturday, I'm working Friday night, so I will not be able to watch Ring of Honor live, unfortunately. So let's talk about that, though, because that show, that is the thing I am arguably, not even arguably, that's the thing I am most interested in this weekend. Not anything WrestleMania related. I know there are some other shows going on by other companies. Um, I know even AEW has Rampage tonight. But the the thing I'm most intrigued by, the thing I most want to see is Ring of Honor, the Supercard. Because Tony Khan has said some really interesting things about the show. It's, it's, it's the first one that he's booking. It, 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 this is the beginning of the Tony Khan era of Ring of Honor. And I have never watched any Ring of Honor anything. I've seen a couple clips here and there. I still remember like 20 years ago, my boys being like, hey, you got to check out this American Dragon guy. He's really good. You know, so I remember seeing little clips and, and moments here and there of what made Ring of Honor special, but I've never sat down and watched a Ring of Honor show. I don't know what the vibe is like. I don't know what those shows feel like. I don't know what the crowds are typically like. So for me to be excited about Supercard says a lot. And the reason I'm excited for it is because I know Tony Khan takes Ring of Honor seriously. He's one of those fans who really respects what they did and how they were, how they offered a true alternative project, a uh, product when they first came out. And that unlike TNA, when they tried to be a rival to WWE and ended up just being like a knockoff of WCW, which in and of itself had become a knockoff of WWE. So TNA was just a knockoff of a knockoff. Ring of Honor, you know, tried to forge its own path. And I know Tony Khan really appreciated their product and the emphasis on athleticism and good, clean wrestling and less of the soap opera stuff and all that. You know, I, I, I know a little bit about the brand of Ring of Honor, and I know that Tony Khan is going to take that part seriously. But what makes me excited is in other interviews, I've seen him compare it and liken it to his first AEW show, which was Double or Nothing 2019. Because remember, he didn't book All In. All In, he was in the audience for. And All In, even though that was, you know, widely seen as the pilot for AEW, uh, you know, it was not an AEW production. And that's why when Tony, you know, founded the company with all the EVPs and they announced Double or Nothing, that became the first show. And when he booked that show, they didn't have a TV deal yet, but he knew he needed to treat that show like it was not only its own monumental standalone event, but also like it was a pilot for what AEW can and will be. He knew he had to plant seeds and give the audience a taste of this is what AEW is about. And he said that he has very similar intentions with this supercard where he has to he wants to simultaneously honor the past and make Ring of Honor, you know, shine brightly tonight while also establishing what the future of the brand looks like. So I think he's got some interesting surprises up his sleeve. He's, he's put together a card that already has more matches I want to see on it than WrestleMania 38 has. 
And I know that he's going to try to make a lot of noise tonight. And I think it's interesting, too, because he's not, you know, a lot of companies try to mooch off WrestleMania. A lot of companies take WrestleMania weekend and they, you know, they run these cons and they run these big shows and they, you know, that's how Supercard came to be. It's meant to coincide with WrestleMania weekend or, you know, WrestleMania is for all the casuals. Ring of Honor is the show for the hardcores. And Tony has said, like, I would never have done this. You know, this is not my style. I had no intention of being in Dallas on this weekend. But they had already booked the building. They'd already booked and announced the show. So I'm going to honor this. And I find that interesting because here he is now in a situation where he didn't ask to try to pull the rug out from WWE. He didn't book this show to try to stick it to WWE in any way. He basically, you know, had this super card thing dropped on his lap by purchasing Ring of Honor. And he could have canceled it and he could have decided, you know, that was the old plan, but we're going to retool and come back in a few months. No, he's chosen to honor that booking because there is, uh, you know, there was some excitement already around what will the super card look like this year. And now here he is in a position to make a whole bunch of noise with a whole lot of wrestling fans watching on WrestleMania weekend using Ring of Honor as his new platform to do so. So there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting little subplots to this. So I'm very, very, very intrigued to see how Tony books the Supercard, what kind of angles he, he presents to us on the show what kind of uh, roster he presents to us on the show. And ultimately, if it, if as a pilot, if as a concept for the future of ROH, I want to, I'm curious to see if this show works out and lands them a TV deal. Cause he does seem intent on trying to keep running ring of honor as its own separate thing. And not just turning it into some faction on an AEW. You know, he doesn't want to repeat what Vince did with WCW 20 years ago. He wants to actually keep ROH as its own viable wrestling company. So with that in mind, he's going to book this in a pretty extraordinary way. And let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes, but I am far more intrigued by the outcome of Supercard than I am about anything else happening this weekend in the world of professional wrestling. And now I kind of want to just shift up gears a little bit because there was some news I, I wanted to hit on because the, the industry just kind of like lost, quote unquote, an icon via the, the abrupt and early retirement of one Paul Triple H Levesque. Uh, he announced on ESPN, I think it was ESPN, is with that guy Stephen Smith, unless he's left to another network. Uh, in an interview with Stephen Smith, he announced that effective immediately, he's retiring from in-ring competition. And I think that warrants a little bit of discussion because Triple H... He's an interesting figure in the history of wrestling, if you ask me. And I personally, I have a very sort of complex set of feelings about that guy. Because on the one hand, early on in his run, once he got with DX, you know, early on in his run, he was responsible for some of my favorite wrestling moments. 
because I loved the Degeneration X invasion of WCW. I loved the way he took the ball and ran with it after Shawn Michaels' abrupt retirement at WrestleMania 14. Or oh, that no, was 13. No, it was 14. Sorry. Um, you know, on the Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania 14, when Shawn was now gone because he passed the ball, you know, he... Uh, he passed the torch to Stone Cold Steve Austin the night before in Boston and then left to go deal with his broken back. Triple H, you know, reformed DX basically by having the New Age Outlaws join and bring X-Pac out. And, you know, th that era of DX is a very, very special part of my wrestling fandom. So I have a soft spot for Triple H because of the DX stuff. But then... Within a couple of years, he became one of the leading causes for my leaving wrestling. Because during that whole McMahon-Helmsley era that began where, you know, where the real-life situation bled over into storylines, where he really did cheat on China with Stephanie McMahon, and then they began a relationship, and then suddenly his stock in the company just rose real, real high at the same time that Stone Cold Steve Austin was cooling down because of his aggravating neck injury, at the same time that The Rock was beginning to flirt with Hollywood and take all these long breaks, suddenly Triple H became the guy. He became the guy. And meanwhile, he never really deserved that. During the Attitude Era, he was not an A-list top-tier player. You know, that belonged to Stone Cold and The Rock and Mick Foley. And over on the other channel, it belonged to still Hogan and Hall and Nash. Triple H has never been on their kind of level where people are just dying to see him wrestle no matter who he's wrestling because he on his own is just a great, magnificent, compelling star. No, Triple H is always just, he's been able to have great matches and great feuds with guys who are bigger deals than he is. You know, he's able to hold his own, or he's always been able to hold his own in rivalries against guys who can draw and guys who do have that animal magnetism. But he on his own, Triple H was never that guy. He was never that guy. And now all of a sudden, we as WWE fans were forced to swallow him week in and week out, being shown as this unbeatable, arrogant heel champ who talks smack about the faces and then beats them clean, which had never really been done. You know, the traditional thing is, yeah, you have the, the arrogant cocky heel who, yeah, he'll say he's going to beat the hero, but he, of course, he has to do it through underhanded means. And of course, he, you know, w w when push comes to shove, he shows he's actually a coward. You know, that's been like a, 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 a classic trope in professional wrestling for ages. But Triple H broke that paradigm by being this cocky asshole who's married to the boss's daughter, who still is just good enough to beat and bury all the younger guys. And to me, during that era, it just, it killed my interest in the product, especially because it happened right after the WCW purchase. So here we are with the most stacked roster of big names and potentially big names that, that have ever lived under one roof at any one time. 
the most stacked roster in professional wrestling history. And the best they could give us was Triple H in the main event every goddamn week, beating everybody. And having 25-minute-long promo sessions that were really boring and long and self-aggrandizing. And just watching him bury the likes of RVD and Chris Jericho and anyone else he decided that's just some kind of vanilla midget. Triple H became the ultimate heel both on screen and behind the scenes. And he did it at the expense of so many other people who could have gotten up to the top level. He buried so many guys along the way that to me, he killed that roster. And that's why all of a sudden they had to try to build a new hope and they had to really start pushing Randy Orton and John Cena and Batista and the Ruthless Aggression era because before the Ruthless Aggression era, Triple H basically flattened all the stars from prior to that. And the guys who had been stars had now left the business. So he was the one holdover from the Monday Night Wars era, but also the least interesting part of it. So Triple H, like, after a couple years where I thought he was the coolest thing since sliced bread because I love DX and I, I was very intrigued by him getting his solo push and how he would, you know that sort of worked shoot element of his storyline where he was the one who was punished for the curtain call at Madison Square Garden that when Diesel and Razor and Sean and Triple H hugged at the end of a house show in MSG and kind of pulled back the curtain on kayfabe and, you know, Diesel and Razor went to WCW, they couldn't punish Shawn Michaels because he was the guy at the time. So they punished Triple H. And he was supposed to win the King of the Ring in 96. And then th that change made it so that Stone Cold won King of the Ring. And look what we ended up getting. Stone Cold became the hottest rising star, one of the biggest stars in all of history of wrestling within a year or two of that decision. So I was intrigued in Triple H for a little while because of the intrigue of that. Okay, like, okay, now they are going to push him. They were holding him back, but now he's the leader of DX. Sean is now left because of his back injury. Now Triple H is going to try to shine. Let's see how this goes. And I was pulling for him for a little while. But then once that whole thing happened with the McMahon-Helmsley era, um, I very, very quickly lost any interest I had in Paul Levesque. And then I cared a little bit towards the end of Sean's run when he was retiring in 2010 and 2011 and the way that Triple H factored into that. But all in all, he just kind of disappeared for me as anyone I would want to follow. If I'm flipping, chan flipping through channels and I see Triple H's face on the screen, he's not anyone I'm going to stop to watch. But then he kind of redeemed himself in my eyes with NXT black and gold because suddenly he reinvented himself, not as a wrestler, but as a promoter and as a guy who's running an alternative brand to raw and SmackDown, who has carved out this interesting niche for NXT where you have all these young, hungry guys in a product that is far less soapy, much more, sports oriented where the wins and losses seem to matter 
where the crux of the show really is about the bell-to-bell action. Triple H sort of remade himself and he took NXT, which had been a developmental, you know, just like basically their wrestling school and turned it into a viable third brand. The crowds at those NXT takeovers were unbelievable. They were the hottest crowds in WWE when they were, you know, when black and gold was really a thing. You know, Triple H completely redeemed himself in a lot of ways in my eyes. Because with NXT, suddenly I saw a future for wrestling. So I'm like, you know what? You may have basically killed the business in the early 2000s, but now you've found a way to light a fire in it again and give us that next generation of superstars again. So suddenly I was willing to forgive him for his past sins and I wanted to just cheer him on and cheer on this NXT you know, this NXT revolution that he had kicked off. But even that, honestly, as I look on it now, as I look on this last year where black and gold has been completely defanged and rebranded and turned into NXT 2.0 and all their top stars jumping to AEW or going to Raw and being mightily misused to the point that now they don't matter anymore during this past year where that's been happening i've been doing some thinking about what triple h did with nxt and what i've come around to is he failed he failed big time and i know that that's not the popular take on this the popular take is to go oh poor triple h what did they do to him You know, he had this heart attack, and then while he's away, they completely gutted and neutered everything he had built with NXT Black and Gold, and all of his protégés and all of his bigger stars are all now gone. NXT is a shell of what it once was. So I know that the popular thing to do is to go, ah, poor Trips. What did they do? This is going to break his heart even more. Maybe this is why he had the heart attack because they were taking his baby and mutilating it. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it very differently these days because I think he failed because he screwed up the assignment. He did not understand the assignment with NXT and now it all has come back to bite him in the ass because NXT was supposed to be just a developmental territory turning out the stars that are meant to go to Raw and SmackDown and take those shows to the next levels. They were supposed to turn out WrestleMania's next big stars. They were supposed to crank out people that Vince would look at and go, all right, I see something in this guy. But Triple H got so wrapped up in creating his own alternate brand and making NXT a third pillar for the company that he completely missed the assignment. He completely screwed the pooch on that because the people in NXT and the product that NXT was presenting, that has nothing in common with the product Vince McMahon wants on his TV. He doesn't believe in guys like Johnny Gargano. He doesn't believe in guys like Tommaso Ciampa. He doesn't believe in these, you know, in these little indie stars who are amazingly gifted athletes, but are maybe so-so on the mic. You know, Vince has a very specific set of qualities he's looking for in his future superstars. 
And if you look at NXT of the last three or four years before the reboot, it's not a show that you could ever imagine Vince McMahon wanting to put his name on. It's a show that hardcore wrestling fans love. But Vince McMahon is not interested in hardcore wrestling fans. And Vince McMahon is not a hardcore wrestling fan. He has his own unique vision of what wrestling is. And he doesn't even want to call it professional wrestling. He wants sports entertainment. He wants brands he can sell. He wants action figures he can market. He wants, you know, he wants merchandise he can sell. He's not interested in guys who can get holy shit chants. He's not interested in guys who could do a twisting, flying topico nilo. Like, he's not interested in any of that stuff. He wants big, charismatic guys who look like walking action figures who can come in and he can shape into these larger-than-life characters on his TV. And NXT was not creating any of that. It was just creating its own legitimate third brand that was very, very different from Raw and SmackDown, which is why most of us liked it so much. And in that respect, he failed miserably because he had a job to do. And that's why they basically made him stop doing it. And they turned NXT back into what they wanted it to be. NXT has reverted back to just being a developmental territory where they're trying to grow this young talent and it's a specific kind of young talent. It's big, strong, athletic guys who are under 30, who have that look like they were carved out of stone, like Braun Breaker. You know, NXT has gone back to being something where this is where we're going to get these guys. They're going to get their feet wet here and learn what it's like to work in front of a crowd here. But then once it looks like they're ready for the big show, we're going to call them up to the big show and now take them to the big time. And we're going to you know, flip that gear and go to the next level. That's how they view NXT 2.0 now, which is what NXT originally was. Because Vince, I don't think, ever wanted it to be its own brand. And honestly, it never made a lot of sense for it to be its own brand. At a time when Raw and SmackDown's ratings have been on the decline, slowly but surely over the last 15 years, does it make sense to further dilute your audience? Does it make sense to have, you know, a couple million on Raw, a couple million watch SmackDown, uh, another like half a million watch NXT? No. Why dilute the audience further? You want people watching your primetime shows. The only people who you should want watching NXT are the same kind of people who like watching college football. The same kind of people who like watching minor league baseball or spring training baseball. You know, that NXT should only really exist for the people who are trying to spot those future stars and kind of want to see what the next generation looks like. But it shouldn't be its own fully compelling third brand that is very, very different from the other shows featuring wrestlers and stars that would never be caught dead shown this way on Raw or SmackDown. So... That's the interesting thing to me as we look back on, on Triple H's legacy here is arguably the, the, the biggest positive he contributed to the business was NXT black and gold. And yet, when you really look at it, there's no way that's what Vince wanted. 
And he essentially failed at what Vince asked him to do. And now NXT has been turned back into what Vince wants it to be. And what's interesting in the relationship to AEW here is, you know, there's a lot of jokes and memes I've seen about how NXT black and gold was essentially a developmental territory for AEW. You know, when you look at AEW now and you see Adam Cole and his undisputed elite on Dynamite and you see Keith Lee and you see, you know, you see any number of big time NXT talent now thriving on AEW programming. The big meme is that NXT Black and Gold was not a developmental for Raw or SmackDown. It was a developmental for Dynamite. And you know what? That is the truth. Because Tony Khan did want the exact kind of people that Triple H was grooming for the future. Tony Khan, I mean, I don't know if he said it anywhere, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. That he would watch takeovers, he would watch all those takeovers and realize this is what I want AEW to be. This loud, passionate, hungry crowd cheering and popping for amazing athletes doing amazing things in matches that look like they're really hardly fought and contested in a product that isn't about over-the-top theatrics, but is more about bell-to-bell action where you have good sniff, uh, sniff, good stiff, snug action wrestled in a way that's very Ring of Honor-ish. NXT Black and Gold had more in common from what I understand. It had more in common with old school Ring of Honor than it did with anything you'd see on Raw or SmackDown. So when you think of it that way, it makes perfect sense that Tony Khan poached the hell out of the NXT Black and Gold roster because he's just smart. He knew none of these people are going to be shown this way if they ever go to the big dance. If any of these guys get the big call-up, they're just going to be neutered and turned into someone named Butch. (laughs) You know, they're going to get turned into Bearcat. They're going to get turned into some sort of joke. So I'm just going to take these people who are hot off NXT and give them their big-time exposure and let them be who they are instead. So that is, uh, to me, it, it really is sort of fascinating how that all works out. The Triple H ended up creating the ideal developmental brand for AEW <laughs> with NXT. And essentially, Vince McMahon eventually caught on to that and cut the nuts off of NXT black and gold, turned it back into what it was meant to be, and Triple H is now on the outside looking in while all of his favorite guys are in another company uh, trying to reach new heights without him. So I just thought that some of that would be interesting uh, to share with you guys this week because Triple H's retirement is a big deal. But when you really unpack some of the bigger things that he's been responsible for, you know, there's a... I think there might be some more red in his ledger than black. You know, I think he might have cost us more than, uh, well, I don't want to say cost us, but, you know, he hurt WWE's product in the early 2000s by being pushed as the unstoppable, smarmy, asshole, heel champion. And then he gave us NXT black and gold, 
But really, he was just setting up another company's bright future. And where is he now? You know, it's going to be very interesting to see how he's handled now. Will he still be involved with recruiting talent when he's already demonstrated to Vince that all the talent he recruited as the head of NXT were not people that he believed in and that they were not being trained in the style that Vince believed in? Because that's another part of it, too. Even Regal failed. If we talk about, you know, if we're talking strictly about what the assignment was, what the mission was. One of the reasons NXT had its nuts cut off is that Vince did not like the way these guys were working when they came up to the big roster. That's why he sent Keith Lee and others back down for retraining elsewhere after they got called up to Raw. So let me get this straight. If Vince McMahon is the boss of this company and he doesn't agree with the way you're training these guys, and he doesn't agree with the guys you're signing, and he has no interest in the product you're peddling, then you you, you should get fired. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what Regal and Triple H were trying to do, and Shawn Michaels was part of that too. It seems like during the Black and Gold's heyday, that Triple H, Regal, and Shawn Michaels were trying to, like, teach Vince McMahon a lesson. You know, like maybe, you know, maybe they felt like if we make NXT, you know, if if we make this the hottest product, the hottest thing WWE has going, he's going to have to listen to us. He's going to have to see that this style of wrestling is the future. You know, it's the only way to justify them completely flying the face of Vince's philosophies. You know, there's so many ways in which NXT black and gold was just not at all what Vince wanted for his product. So it doesn't shock me to now see Regal gone too. And again, now he's in a place where his talents will be appreciated because the stuff that Regal's going to teach these guys and his approach, you know, that's exactly what Tony Khan wants from his roster. So all of this, you know, having Triple H gone, having Regal over in AEW, and having NXT 2.0 now doing what it is, it's funny because, yeah, it may be a far cry from black and gold, but at least NXT is what Vince intended it to be now. And at least the people down there now seem to understand the assignment. So, yeah, um, way to go, Triple H. (laughs) Have a nice retirement. Uh, it's a shame that he's not going to get that big final send off. I'm sure it would have been nice for him to have that one last match. So I'm sure that's going to eat at him forever because every wrestler who's ever been at the top of the card and has had that long run dreams of that one last run or at least that one last match. And it doesn't sound like he can do that even if he wanted to. Because he has a defibrillator attached to his heart that zaps his heart whenever it's not acting right. And he has very little, he has like no control over that. So imagine trying to have a match and all of a sudden you you get zapped. You know, he just, it, it's unfortunate. He's had that taken away from him. The possibility of a retirement match is gone. But his legacy is his legacy. It's a, it's a mixed one. But uh, listen... You know, he, he's, you can't argue that he hasn't given his life to this and that he hasn't played the game, so to speak, uh, masterfully to get to where he is. So, uh, Triple H, have an awesome retirement. 
it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with you moving forward and how much trust Vince puts in your hands after the way you handled NXT these last few years. Um, and uh, I'm sure Tony Khan should send Triple H a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> for uh, for everything that he did to help set up AEW's future roster. But uh, all right, folks, that is going to be it for this week's episode of The Wrestling Fanboy. I look forward next week to letting you know what I thought of Supercard and, and with this new launch of Ring of Honor. And uh, obviously, I'll, I'll, you know, I would love to be able to eat my words and tell you next week that I had WrestleMania all wrong and it was an unbelievable show. So we'll see if that happens. We'll see if that happens. But for now, until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.